Well, we do need to learn how to have a still soul. I mean, that's not easy. God bless you. Let's turn to Genesis chapter number 12. Oh, it's a joy to see the kids uh, getting older. and I mean, other people's kids. Um, you know, you remember back, you married people. You didn't marry them as such, but you presided over their wedding. And uh, you, remember, you, remember, you remember folks before they before they knew each other and just watch the journey of that. So, so many here, actually. And uh, it's a good, they're good, good memories, good reflections. And uh, it's just a, a, you know, a blessing to be here. I think it knits us together as family. And uh, I love our local church. I've said that before. You'll hear me say it a few more times yet, as long as God gives me breath. I love our church. I love to come home. Uh, still home for me. Um, I, I drive past here at night when no one's here. I have great affection uh, for what God has done here. I love Pastor Lloyd, uh, his family, um, and just am uh, very thankful that we have this place and are thankful for all that, all that the Lord gives us here. And, you know, I, I purpose to, to, to focus on the things I should be thankful for and not to focus on other things. Because in anything, there's always other things, but it's a choice to have a thankful spirit and just be grateful for all that God is doing. And uh, I I don't know, I probably, I just feel I love people a bit more. I I hope I, well, (laughs) I hope I always love people, but I I feel I'm I'm getting better. And uh, I just uh, really rejoice with you, with your families, and often look around, uh, even to many of you that I, I, I don't speak to and maybe haven't spoken to for months. Uh, but uh, I'm, you know, often aware of your circumstances and just how you have to live your life and the things that you face. And God bless you for assembling together, for being in church, and for continuing to be faithful. A great message this morning. On, uh, on being settled. Uh, certainly that was uh, truly, truly something that Trish personified. Uh, she was settled. Uh, she, she spoke of amazing grace and uh, again and again and again. And uh, so, you know, the journey of life, we, we go forward. It's meet and proper that we meet in church tonight. It's, it's what she'd want. And uh, it was uh, one of the things that was a strength in her life was her faithfulness to church. So let's uh, open the Word of God. We're going to read from Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to share something with you tonight that uh, I hope it'll be a blessing to you. It was really a blessing to me. And uh, I I find that increasingly uh, one of the joys of my life is there are less joys in the world as so much is changing. But uh, one of the joys of my life is when God shows me something more of himself. And uh, I, I really believe this. Uh, these uh, discoveries of God, uh, they're things that always were there, but they get revealed to us at different times. Uh, the more you see of the Lord, I feel, uh, you are, it, it causes you to love him more. Now, the more you see of me, that may not be the case. You know, truly, if you dig around people a bit too much, uh, you might hit some disappointments and some anomalies and some 
even contradictions. But it is never that way with the Lord. He just continues to delight. And I think I'm just starting to understand the psalmist who said, delight thyself in the Lord. I'm just th- I think I'm just starting to understand the wonder of coming in and seeing more of him and understanding his ways. And every time he shows me something more about himself, I'm always deeply moved by that. And, and, uh, and I ponder it much. And, and uh, it's just, uh, it's, uh, it is a spring of joy in an otherwise uh, barren land, as in life on earth, life under the sun. So I'm going to show you something about the Lord. Uh, this uh, became, uh, it visited me because I've been teaching uh, our Thai people, our core people, uh, through the life of Abraham. And so um, most weeks we, we meet together and uh, what I've decided that the better way to teach them is to, is to do things like that, take them entirely through someone's life and show them all that comes from that. And so it was in process of that study uh, that this appeared to me and it, it greatly blessed me and it helped me to understand something more about the Lord. So um, I pray it'll be the same to you. You'll have to follow a little bit. I'll have a few scriptures to turn to. I don't think it's complex, uh, but it's, um, well, let's just, just sort of read and see, see how we go. Genesis chapter 12, uh, verse number 4, and I'll assume, you know, you have a certain familiarity with some of this. Uh, so Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was... Seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abraham took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. Into the land of Canaan they came. And Abraham passed through the land under the place of Sychem, uh, unto the plain of Moriah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed, going on still toward the south, and there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. So I'm going to stop there and uh, just, uh, just explain to you uh, some th- important uh, background to, to getting to this truth. Uh, God selected Abraham and uh, Acts in another place does tell us that God had spoken to Abraham prior to him uh, responding in full obedience. God had called him to go out to leave his own place and go to another place where God was going to show him, which was the land of Canaan. And uh, there is a, there's a time there where there's a certain quietness of God uh, and that quietness has to do with the fact that God was uh, waiting for Abraham to comply and yield to what God had asked him to do. And this is pattern with God, that if God directs you to do something or he's already spoken to you about something, 
Uh, God is not uh, a nagging mother-in-law or such who just keeps at you and keeps at you and keeps at you. Uh, But God will say it uh, once, twice, uh, maybe three times, and then goes quiet. And uh, that quietness of itself can be disturbing. And if if you don't discern that, what you can do is you can start to wonder, you know, what's going on. And if you're fleshly and you're not spiritual, you will begin to diagnose your own condition. You'll try to move forward without God. So you'll think your problem is coming from this or that or some other thing or, or you might focus on the failures of people around you or, or you might uh, dwell on your misfortune in life. Uh, but you might uh, dwell on everything except what you should be reflecting on is what was the last thing God told you to do? Why, why has God gone quiet? And uh, so there was a certain period of quietness. And then Abraham, uh, after the death of his father, uh, uh, went further and uh, followed God. And the whole idea was that Abraham was to make his way to the land of Canaan. And uh, to understand uh, much in uh, God's working with people and to understand what's about to happen, uh, you have to understand that that it was essential for Abraham to get to Canaan and all Abraham's blessings and all the future blessings of those who would come forth from Abraham had to do with Abraham being in Canaan. So have we got that? That was the place that he needed to go to. It was the place of blessing. We call it the promised land. Uh, I think it typifies Christian living. I don't think it typifies heaven uh, because uh, in heaven there's no fighting, no more battles, no giants and none of that. Uh, but in a promised land living, you still have to confront those things. Uh, but so, so all his blessings were tied to being in Canaan. Canaan was the will of God, the place of God. Every blessing was going to come from that. And in fact, once Abraham got there, God reappears again. And uh, so now it's Abraham. Okay, so now you are, uh, you know, where I directed you to go. And God reiterates some of the promises that he had made to Abraham earlier in chapter 12. And in acknowledgement of God's working uh, with, with, uh, with Abraham uh, about that, uh, Abraham builds an altar. So he recognises that God has spoken to him there and uh, he builds an altar. And so all this is going well. Abraham is in Canaan. He's got to where God wants him to go. And now something happens here that also will happen to you. And uh, if you read this as a narrative and you just sort of, if you speed read it, and I I suggest you never speed read the Bible because uh, every word is selected by God. Everything that's there uh, is there for a purpose, a meaning. Now, it won't always be that everything will be illuminated to you every time, But certainly if you stay in it, there will be a progressive revelation, a revealing of what God is saying. So never speed read the Bible. But if you read it through as a narrative, uh, he's gone, God has spoken, uh, he's been careful in his steps, Uh, he's been in the land of Canaan, but he hasn't settled in their cities, and that's significant. He's built his altar to God, and here it is. Uh, Verse number 10, and there was a famine in the land. There was a famine in that land. And it's kind of strange that uh, here we go in verse number 10, after, after obedience and after 
hearing from God. There is, there's no question uh, about, uh, about that God was with him and that he was hearing from God. All of that was very clear. And uh, so he wasn't out of the will of God. He was smack in the middle of the will of God. And now a famine occurs in verse number 10. Now, uh, famines are like a few other things in the Bible that are easy to read over without understanding the implications of what it would have meant if you were there. Is that, so, so be careful of things like that because you don't go through famines. Uh, you, 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 you don't, you don't, you're not reliant. Your, your wealth, your future, uh, everything you have is not tied to the land. Well, not, probably not to any of us here. Uh, and so you're not reliant on stock, needing grass. And, and, I mean, a famine is a grievous situation if you're in Bible times. Um, it, it, let's not make light of it and let's not think that, uh, you know, let's not just read over it in a verse and speed on and let's understand that this becomes a grievous test. And uh, when, a, when a famine comes and when you're in the will of God and a famine comes, what well, you might question if you are in the will of God. That, that might rise up in you. Uh, when a famine comes, you, 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 you're faced with a decision about, well, what do you do? You certainly can't ignore it. It's having effects upon you. And, uh, and so you've got to really think carefully, well, what do I do? So this uh, famine occurs, and what you will see here is, uh, and you've probably read it many times, Abraham makes the decision to go down to Egypt, and, uh, and then uh, a series of events take place. Remember, he says to Sarai, his wife, look, when we go down to Egypt uh, to escape this famine, uh, for sure they're going to see how beautiful you are and that's going to be dangerous for me because, you know, they're prone to taking what they want and uh, it, would be, it would be easier for them to take you if, you know, I was out of the picture. So help me out here. Uh, it, when we go down there, could you just say that you're my sister? And uh, that was sort of a half-truth. Uh, but a half-truth is a full lie. And, uh, you know, uh, you, people sometimes try to uh, squirm a little bit on that. And they say, well, I, I sort of said the truth. Let me say it again. A half-truth is a full lie. And uh, every false doctrine and error is built on a half-truth. Um, and so, so he said, well, just say you're my sister. And she did. And, and you know what happened. Uh, the princes of Pharaoh see her. She is beautiful. They say, boy, you ought to get this bird. She's a, she's a stunner. And uh, so uh, he says, well, bring her in. And so uh, they bring her in. And, and, and uh, you know, it's all sort of novel. And, and you, you might have colored in a picture in your Sunday school curriculum about this. But do not mistake the seriousness of it. Because at that moment, you may have never heard the name of Abraham again. That, that, was a, that was, a, that was a, a, a possible death moment in, in terms of future for this reason. If Pharaoh had gone into Sarah, I'm using biblical, but you know what I'm saying. If Pharaoh had gone into Sarah there would be no promised child coming from Sarah. That's it, that's all done. 
You see how, see how perilous that was? If that had happened, she can't be the one who's going to bear the, the promised child by faith. And Abraham has done it. He's out. He's gone. And probably you wouldn't be reading his name here in the scriptures. It was that serious. It, it, was, a, it, was, a, it was an attempt by the devil who has always attempt to abort the plan of God before it's birthed. Hence the attempts to wipe out Israel as a nation on multiple occasions. That was about stopping the coming Messiah. You see the connection? All of those attempts to, remo- to eliminate the nation was an attempt to stop the birth of the Messiah who, if he had not come, well, you and I would be in a great deal of trouble. So, so the slaying of the babies was an attempt by the devil to abort what God was trying to do, to kill the baby Jesus before he could ever grow up. Uh, when that didn't work, uh, the next attempt was in Matthew 4. That was an attempt to get the Saviour to sin so that he couldn't be the Messiah. And uh, another, another message, but, but a repetitive pattern of our enemy is to try to abort the thing that God is going to do before he does it. So if Abraham had, had got that wrong, if, uh, if uh, God had not intervened and plagued Pharaoh's house and Pharaoh gave up Sarah before he ever went into her, if he'd gone into her, well, that would have been the end. So, so famines come. And the issue is, well, what, what do you do? You know, what do you do when the famine comes? There's, there's always, a, a, what, what, what's a famine? It's a, it's a lack of... It's a lack of blessing. It's a lack of provision. It's a wanting for something that's not happening and not coming. Uh, it's a situation that puts you in a place of uh, testing and trouble. Uh, and, uh, and they shouldn't be underestimated. Famines are always tests. And you get them in every area of life. And how you respond to the famines that will visit you in your life will largely determine how your future will look. Famines test your obedience to what God told you before. And so typically, you know, there's again a pattern. God will tell something, he'll lead you, uh, and then you'll be confronted with a, uh, with a famine type situation where, uh, where you know, um, who turned off the blessing? Uh, what happened? Uh, the temptation when famine comes is to leave the place where you are. So the temptation is uh, people often make uh, decisions based on the fact, look, I'm going through a personal famine here or a financial one or other such thing, and the temptation is to leave the place. The temptation is to leave a person because I'm just in a famine and this is terribly uncomfortable and I'm lacking you know, love and whatever, whatever. Uh, the temptation can be to leave a ministry or even uh, doctrine, to, to abandon that when God has already affirmed it to you previously. And that's the danger when a famine comes. Uh, preachers go through famines in their church and uh, they don't often speak of them, uh, but I can tell you that they are fairly regularly occurring events that take place in most ministries uh, where you may go through a season of famine. And, uh, and that, that can test what God said previously. It can make people reflect on their call. 
It can make people reflect on the confirmation that God gave you that he wanted you in that place. And uh, remember, God had spoken to Abraham and Abraham had responded to that. This was not a question of not being where it's supposed to be. And uh, so famines come and they sort of test you whether you're going to go down to Egypt or not. Egypt in the Bible typifies the world and the whole world system. And sometimes when people are in a famine, they make a decision to go back to the world, to go to the world. And you'll see as you study famines in the Bible, whenever people go to Egypt, it's never said they went up to Egypt, they always go down to Egypt. And when you, when you abandon what God has shown you and you abandon the place, the person, the ministry, the doctrine uh, in a time of famine and uh, go down to Egypt, you never get better, you get worse. When you go down, you don't go up. And so there's a, there's a pattern here. But the thing to say about famines, and this is not really a message about famines, the thing to say about famines is they're always survivable. So, so you know, two, two things in the Bible are always survivable to God's people. One are lions, and we'll get to that another day. But the only person who ever got taken out by a lion was a disobedient prophet and uh, even then, that was, that was very strange. But lions are survivable. They, they confront God's people. They're a picture of the devil. They confront God's people many times. But, but God's people don't get devoured by lions. Uh, we're told to resist uh, him steadfastly. Another. So uh, famines are also survivable. Remember Elijah was placed near the brook, stay with me, during a time of famine... And, uh, and what was happening was his little water supply was disappearing. It was shrinking away. And he had, to, he had to watch that. But all he had was his previous instruction to stay there. He had not received any new direction about where to go next. He had not been told. But can you see that that would be warring on you? And does it not war on you when you're watching your water supply diminish and, uh, and you're, you're in a famine conditions, and surely you have to start to contemplate your options. But famines are survivable. They're always survivable. God never puts you in a place where that famine will, will take you out. And uh, so what you have to do is you've got to stay where you are. And so Elijah stayed, and at a timely moment, his water supply did dry up, but God said, now go to here. And uh, he was able to do that. Remember Naomi's family in Ruth. You know, remember Naomi's family? In Ruth, there was a famine. And they made the decision to, to go down to, uh, to Moab. And, uh, and uh, remember the whole family left? You can read it there in Ruth chapter 1. And their idea was to, to find another place. And, and they went down there. And you know what happened. She, she, uh, her husband died. Uh, her two sons died. And finally, uh, you know, she's just, it's just Ruth and Naomi left together and she makes her way back. And you know what happens when she makes her way back? Well, everybody's still there. That's what happened. Do you know what that means? They stayed. They stayed. And, it, and you can survive them. And you don't have to abandon uh, your place uh, because you go through a famine. They stayed. And uh, God, God, God blessed, and, and she, in fact, she heard. And by the time she got back, they were in prosperity again. There was, remember the harvest and Boaz and all of that. So, so that's the thing to remember is that famines are survivable. They'll test you. 
they'll test, they'll test you, they'll test your calling, they'll test your allegiance to doctrine, they'll test your faithfulness to the place of God, they'll test you, but if you stay, they're survivable. Now, the question we have to ask is, that you should ask, is if Abraham was in the land of Canaan, why did he go down to Egypt? And uh, this is what we'll hang the message on. Why, why, why go to Egypt? If you're, in, if you're in famine in Canaan, how does it help you to go to Egypt? Well, the answer to that is that Egypt has the Nile. All right, now this is important to understand because there is a very big difference between the promised land and Egypt. The conditions in both places are very different and they're, they're different deliberately so. Uh, God created a situation which we'll, I'll show you, but they were meant to be different. So, so why go to Egypt? All right, Egypt is a type of the world. Egypt has the Nile. The Nile is the largest river by length in the world. Uh, the Nile is about 4,000 miles, about 6,000 kilometres. And, uh, and basically, if you live in Egypt, you have a predictable source of water. But your water is not coming from it raining on you. I said if you live in Egypt. Your, rain, your water is not coming because it rains on you. Your water is just coming because that river is just continues to flow and goes finally out to the Mediterranean. But uh, you have a predictable source of water. And in fact, uh, you'll see in a moment, farming methods, and this is really important, farming methods in Egypt were very different to the promised land. And, and one of the things I taught our ties, I was teach, teaching them on preaching. And I said, uh, you know, I said, and one, just one particular lesson, I was talking about how to preach on a story, how to preach on a, an event, a story. And uh, one thing I shared with them was that what you have to do is, uh, uh, you know, before you look at the personalities and identities in the story, you have to look at God in the story. So immediately you've got to step to the God's position and say, well, what are these events saying about God? What, what's, what is this telling me about God, about this scenario, about what he was doing, what he was thinking, what he's planning? And you'll see in a moment that the conditions in the promised land, which is where we're supposed to dwell, and in Egypt, which is where we're not supposed to dwell, is very different. So Egypt has this predictable source of water uh, that just is always there. And, and there's no reliance on, you know, rain or not. So, so when people went through a hard time, a famine, they made their way down to Egypt. Now, how many times have you known people who, who just throw the towel in, Christian-wise, and say, I'm just going to go back to the world? I'll just get a job like everybody else. I'll just live like everybody else. The world system is there waiting to embrace me. Uh, it's predictable, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, and why should I go through these tests and troubles anymore? I can just go and live like them. And I'll just, I'll just go to where they are and I'll just live how they live and I'll just see out my days like that. I remember many years ago, years and years and years ago, when I resigned the ministry to go and sell real estate. And uh, that, was, that was basically a lot of, that was in my head. Well, I'll just go and do what other people do. I'll 
I'll sell real estate if the, if the people of God don't want me. I'm sick of contending with them anyway. I felt a bit like Moses. You know, who can bear this? And, uh, and I'll just go and sell real estate and I'll make money and we'll be happy and etc., etc., etc. And that can visit people, the idea of just going. So, so, so I want you to get in your head uh, how people live in that day. We're talking farming, we're talking agriculture, we're talking animals. And here you have the Nile, and she just sits there. I mean, it's, it's, it's pure Egypt. It's just, it personifies Egypt. They worship it. And it's just this constant water flow, and nobody gives thanks to God for it. And you know what? For most of, for most of history, they didn't even know its source. There wasn't even any recognition of it. It just was there. And so that's why Abraham made the decision to go down to Egypt was because the Nile is there and, you know, you can, it's predictable, but you see everything that almost went wrong. Now, can you see that we have uh, two, two locations? We have the life of Egypt, which is based on the Nile. This is the life of the world, where you can just be like every other bloke and chick out there and whatever and just, you know, live your life and and uh, do what you do, there's a certain, you know, that leads to a certain place, but uh, that's the life of Egypt. But then there's the life of the promised land, how God wants you to live. So do you remember that the people who were led to the promised land, where had they lived for 400 years before that? You understand that, you understand Australia hasn't, like European settlement in Australia hasn't even been 400 years and we feel like we've been here forever. You know what I mean? Like we've just etched a way of life. We just, we just, you know, we just, we are what we are. We've lived here generations. I can remember back to my, uh, my great grandparents, you know. Uh, so my, my parents' grandparents, that's as far back as I can remember. And we just lived a life, you know. We're just Aussies and we're one generation, another generation. And we just, so, so that's us. But go 400 years. And I'm just saying you get into a pattern. The only thing you ever know is what you've known. Oh, you got it? So they're in Egypt. So the only thing they've known is, is everything I just said, the Nile. Uh, they were farming the way people do. Now, I wouldn't have understood this if I hadn't been in Thailand because I've, I've learned since I've been in Thailand and I'm a lot more around farms now uh, how, how they water and how it works. All right, so go to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Uh, 11. You could go to 10, but we'll be in 11. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11. And uh, we'll read some verses from there. And, and we're, we're, I'm, I'm paralleling something here. So if you've got in your mind the life of Egypt, the Nile River, all that's of the world, no recognition or thought of the source of the blessing, no consideration of that, predictable life year in, year out, and, uh, and uh, that's how they live. Now, you get to Deuteronomy chapter 11, and this is wondrous. Right here, this is wondrous. Because this, is, this sort of knits everything what we're talking about together now. And uh, you're going to see the God perspective on life in the promised land and what he wanted to tell them who'd come from that other life about how this was going to be different. Now, have you, have you got it? You've got the types that we're not to be people of the world. We are the promised land dwellers. And so our life is not, 
is not the Nile. God doesn't want us dependent on the Nile. He's got something different. So here it is. Verse number 10 of Deuteronomy chapter 11. And this is rich. For the land whither thou goest in to possess it is not as the land of Egypt. Oh, Brother Shemish just said that. That's right. (laughs) But I, I read it here. All right. Is not as the land of Egypt from whence she came out. Where thou sowest thy seed and waterest it with thy foot as a garden of herbs. Let me explain that to you because that's really significant. And, and, and just there's about three words there that moved me for about two weeks. I was just, and here's what he was saying. The place where you're going to go is not like the place where you were. It's, it's going to be different for you. And the place you're going to go, you're not going to water it by moving of your foot. Now, the reason that touched me, it touched me because it showed me God's attentiveness to the detail of man. It showed me that, would you even notice that? Would you, would you be that engaged with us that you would notice that? And here's what he was noticing. So when you live in Egypt, and I've seen this in Thailand... Uh, when you live in Egypt, you have the Nile, but from the Nile, you have many other tributaries or water sources going off, all right? And it's, it's a very fertile area. It, it floods every summer. Well, not since they've built a recent dam, but, but it did. And so you've got this huge amount of water coming through and all these tributaries coming off it. So here's what you do. When you farm in, the, when you farm in Egypt... What you did, you just dig a little canal to your farm. So you just, and they do this in Thailand. We, we, in fact, where our church is, we, we water that way for a lot of the year. You just dig a little canal, and uh, that little canal is just like a little trench. And it runs all the way, and you can, sort of, you can even do it with your foot, and you clear the dirt, because the water will just find its lowest point. And so it will run in from that source, it will run all the way in right to your garden. And so that's how they farmed. So, so that's what God was saying. It's not going to be that. Now, now I'm, I'm still moved by that, like that, that God is just engaged at knowing our life in that much detail. Things that you would think are nothing, he's fully aware of what we do. Even in small things, how we live and why we do what we do. And doesn't necessarily say it's wrong, it just watches us and knows what we do and, and just understands us, that that's our life. And so he said, uh, let's follow it. Uh, verse 10, uh, Not as the land of Egypt from whence you came out, where thou sowest thy seed and waterest it with thy foot as a garden of herbs, but the land whither you go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys and drinketh water of the rain of heaven. All right. We'll come back. But what do you see? I'll point you somewhere. A land of hills and valleys. You know what that is? Ups and downs. That's ups and downs. The promised land is not predictable, worldly, don't give thought to the source, kick it out with your foot, Egypt. It's not that way. I'm going to take you to a place of blessing where it's going to be better than anything you ever could have had, but you've got to understand it's a land of hills and valleys. There's going to be ups and downs. 
verse number 12. A land which the Lord thy God careth for. This is Canaan. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it. From the beginning of the year, even unto the end of the year. And it shall come to pass, if you shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thy oil. So what God was saying here was that I'm going to take you to a place that is different to how the world lives. And you're going to come into a different situation that you haven't experienced before. You're used to, you're used to relying on what you always know. Hello. You're used to falling back on what you always know. And God is saying, I understand. You're used to the, just the old way you think, you do, you work out your problems. You're used to a different way of farming. But I'm going to take you to a place, it's not going to work like that. It's going to be different conditions to the life in the world. And what you're going to have to do is in this place, there's no Nile. And what God has done, he's created a situation of reliance. And he has deliberately created a situation of reliance where you have no Nile to go to. And if you're going to, if you're going to uh, harvest fruit, then you're going to be dependent upon the rain which comes from above. But you're not going to be able to do it by means of your foot, the canals, the old ways. This land is not like that land. And so God was deliberately, had placed them in a situation where he was saying, I'm going to make you wholly reliant on me. That's a hard lesson. That's a hard lesson for any of us. Because so much in our life, we value surety. We, we want to... We want to know that things are taken care of. We, you know, one of the things about every one of us here will have, and maybe more than one, is we all have insurance. And insurance is just our cultural way of putting some safety nets in place. We're just, we're just letting us know that it's taken care of, that should something happen, that this is in place. And nothing wrong with insurance, but... But can you just see that's the way we like to live? We, we like to know that it'll just work and we have backup and we want to lean on the things around us to, to give us our security for old age, our security in the event of things going wrong, uh, our security, um, you know, to be able to continue to, to get the things that we, we feel we need. And that's just how we are, but that's very... It's kind of Egyptian in manner, you know, that's just, it's by nature, that's how we are. And so what God does, his way is to, and, and you know, folks, welcome to the journey. If you're in the promised land and you saw that little figure sitting by the tree having a weep, that was me. I was there too. I'm the, that's me. I mean, welcome, welcome to where we are. 
where we're all in a place of reliance upon God. Now, I, 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 uh, you know, I don't want to say I don't like that, but, but a big part of me likes to lean on things I can see. Uh, hello? Now, if you, you might be more spiritual than that, but, but many times my life in Thailand is very testing. And, and there are many things I've never shared, and I don't know that God will ever give me liberty to share them, but, but there's a lot of very difficult things happen. And, uh, and when, you're, when I'm over there, uh, I'm alone in the sense of I'm not with you and I'm not with my culture. I'm not with the people who would understand me. I'm not even with people who speak my language. So I'm in a very different situation where the whole nation plays by different rules. And uh, not only that, I'm, uh, I'm a propagator uh, of the Christian faith, uh, which is... Uh, is, is not uh, the majority religion of where I am. And I'm just saying that there are numerous things that come up from time to time, things that uh, arise in the situation. Sometimes they're things I do to myself, but I don't know anyone who hasn't been there at some time. Um, but uh, when I'm in that, you know, you know who I want to lean on? I want to lean on my men. I, I, you know what I want? I want them to understand I want to be able to look at them and say, well, if this all goes belly up, at least, you know, at least I've got Abishai here and, you know, Joab over here and, and someone will secure me if the, if the giant Ishbibinob comes. That's what I want to lean on. But you know what? I never can. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not diminishing them. I'm just saying I've never been, I can't do it. I try to. I tell myself that, okay, I've got Abishai, I've got, I've got Joab, and sure enough, a test comes, and, you know, it's the story about you don't have to outrun the grizzly, you just have to outrun the other bloke. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, that's kind of, and it's just like continually, and I'm not sliding them, they go above and beyond and they love me and, and uh, you know, they always try to assure me that they, they're not going to run away and all that. <laughs> but, but, uh, but truthfully... Sometimes I just agonise with the Lord and say, Lord, would you just, can they just step up a little bit? Can we just, would you just give me the comfort? You know, it's already hard here. Would you just give me the comfort of being able to look around and go, okay, I ha-, and God just won't give it to me. He just won't give it to me. And, uh, and so what do, you, what do you do when that doesn't happen? Well, I do what you do. First of all, I blame, I blame, uh, blame Joab and Abishai right? That's what you do when you think people in the church have failed you or you think the pastor wasn't there for you or, or you're going through things. That, that's the first thing you do too. You direct your gaze to those who you feel were, were, not, were not what they should have been in your situation. But how about this? How about if God is saying, I don't permit that. I'm not going to let you lean on that. I'm going to keep you in a place where you have only me to rely on. I'm not giving you reliance on anyone. And that's promised land living. So God deliberately put them in a place where he said, it's not going to be any more, you, 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 you want to water your garden? Sure, just take a little, and no, no, none of that. I'm going to put you in a place where you don't have the Nile. And I don't want you to have a Nile. And I'm not giving you a Nile. 
because your living is not going to be based on the Nile. I'm going to force you. And so they're having to learn now a whole different way to farm. And this is the Christian life. If you want to have fruitfulness in the promised land, you cannot obtain it by trying to farm by the methodology of Egypt. The methodology of Egypt will not produce fruit in the promised land. It it does not come that way. Your stumbling block is this. It produces fruit for the unsaved in the sense of it works for them. But it's not permitted to work for you because the kind of fruit you're going after is is a different thing. And you're in a different place. And so they're having to now erase their cultural way and their mentality of how you go about obtaining fruit. Now, I think one of the big crises we have in Christianity, amongst many, is the fact that, that, that some you know, smart cookie who would do well as a CEO about anywhere found himself in a church and decided that he knew what the church now needed to be, redefined church and, uh, and what needed to be minimised and what was problematic to increase numbers. And uh, he just formed a strategy that, that was based on Egyptian principles of farming. Well, what did they get? What have they got? Well, they've got Egypt. That's what they've got. It's Egypt. And do you really want to worship in Egypt? Do you really want to go to Egypt? Is that the fruit you're looking for? The, the, the fundamental downside to this is that God does not produce fruit in the promised land like he does in Egypt where they rely on the Nile. You're in a whole different situation. You're looking for different kinds of blessing. He was teaching them, verse 11, this place you're in is a place of hills and valleys. And, uh, and that's going to be the journey here. That, that, and I don't like valleys. Hills are nicer. Hills are your ups. Valleys are your downs. And, uh, and we'd all rather stay up than down. But journeying with God in the promised land is, is a land of hills and valleys. And it's a place of reliance upon God. And getting the blessings of ministry, you, you can't, you can't uh, technique your way to fruitfulness in Christian service. It is not, it's not that you can't learn some things and you can't be wise about conducting yourself, but the kind of thing, the kind of blessing you're looking for does not come uh, by the ways of Egypt. It's a, it's a different thing. You're reliant upon the reign of heaven. You can't package it. So he was teaching them that. Go to 1 Kings chapter 8. Uh, not long. 1 Kings chapter 8. So can you see now that he's just told them, okay, this place I'm taking you to is not like the place where you were. And, uh, and you can't, you, you're not to live that way. You're not going to have it that way. You're going to be reliant on me for the rain. There's no Nile here to lean on. And so that's what he's telling them. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 35 and 36, and talking about the, uh, uh, the temple, the place where they could go to pray. And I've you know, just grabbed a couple of verses here, but you can read all of it. Verse 35 of 1 Kings chapter 8, when heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against thee. Can you see the connection? Can you see the connection between your reliance on God for the blessing and how God can turn it on and turn it off? 
If they pray toward this place and confess thy name and turn from their sin when thou afflictest them, then hear thou in heaven and forgive the sin of thy servants and of thy people Israel, that thou teach them the good way wherein they should walk and give rain upon thy land, which thou hast given to thy people for an inheritance. Now, I've cherry-picked some verses, but you can theme this out all the way through. I've just, I've just cherry-picked some to quickly, within time, paint a picture. But you can, you can follow this all the way through, that what God removed them from that reliance on the Nile and said, I'm putting you in a place of dependency where it's going to hang on me. And you're going to have to stay right with me And if you're not right with me, and I'm not talking about little things, I'm talking about the things that God has already spoken to you about. And maybe you've seared your conscience and doesn't feel you don't feel it as much anymore, but what he said, he said. And he can turn off the rain. And when he turns off the rain, you'll get by for a little while. Because you'll live off the residue of the past rains. But eventually it'll start to get parched. And eventually it'll start to get dry. And what you do at that moment will really determine much about how your future will take shape. I'm talking in the ministry. I'm talking on the mission field. I'm talking about in life. I'm talking about that if God, God has capacity to turn off the rain. Now, I'll give you a closing scripture, which is one verse, and that's it, um, that, that sort of practicals this out a little bit. But God wants you to lean on him. And it's a really, it's a, it's, a, it's a hard place to get to. to, to just, to just have to trust him and to just, and, and, you know, I've been, I've had experiences where the rain has just not fallen for a while. Uh, but I thank God he's always, he's always told me why. If I sought him, he told me why. And if God is dealing with you about anything, he'll tell you why or he's told you why already. It's not, it's not, it won't be that hard to work it out. But please understand, if you're saved, you are in the promised land. Number one, Egypt is not really an option for you. You might look at it, but, but it's not an option. It might tempt you because you know that down there they have the Nile, but it's not an option for you. If you go to Egypt, you go down. We won't meet you in a few years and say, boy, he's better. We'll just, you'll be down. That's what Egypt does to you. You always go down in Egypt. You don't go up. All right, the last scripture is in 2 Samuel 21. And, if you, and like I say, if you want to theme this out or study it out, you'll see this is all over. And this is just the hand of God in how he works, how he works with his people, how he wants us to live, what he wants us to rely on. You know, there are, there are people all over the world, they're in ministry, they're in churches, they're on mission fields, they're serving in local churches, uh, they're in business life, they're in other things. And uh, what they really want, they really just want to be able to lean on the Nile. And uh, it's a big lesson to be able to, except that you can't, you can't do that anymore and you're really going to be reliant upon God. 
2 Samuel chapter 21, just, just verse 1, because I think you'll know it. Then there was a famine in the days of David three years, year after year. You'll notice we're reading slow. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is for Saul and for his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites. So we're not going to dwell on the Gibeonites in that whole story right now, but we're going to dwell on the fact of the famine, another famine. Now David is no snowflake. By that I mean that that he, he, he understands life has suffering. He understands that you've got to take the hit sometimes. He understands that it's a land of hills and valleys. He's not expecting a free pass from the things that we all have to contend with. And by that I mean that he didn't go into a panic the first month when the rain didn't come. And he didn't even get uh, too distressed the first year. Maybe he thought, well, fair enough, you know, we all got to take this sometimes. It doesn't always, you have seasons of this. But after three years, and it was, and the Bible emphasises year after year, David understands this is not normal. Okay, this, now we're in a situation where, okay, what is happening to me now is out of the bounds of just, you know, a bit of suffering, a valley, a test. This has gone into, this is God. And so David sought the Lord and the Lord explained to him that, yes, it is me. I did do it. I have turned off the rain. And I've done it because of what Saul did to someone else so it had to do with people, it had to do with somebody who'd hurt somebody. And one of the things that, you know, I'll just say along the way, is if you've hurt people, you should do your best to get that fixed. I don't know anyone who hasn't hurt someone. Sometimes I get into showdowns with the Lord when he'll say, go and say sorry to Suzanne. Hmm. Yeah, I shouldn't have said that. Hmm. Go and say sorry to her. Yeah, I'll, I probably will do that. Go, go and say sorry to her. You heard what she said to me. <laughs> you know, and I'll get into this obstinate uh, trying to justify my conduct that resulted in hurting someone else. And finally, no, no, I've, I've become a lot more pliable, by the way, over the last few years. Uh, I'm like, mm, and I will go and I'll apologise. I've apologised to my ties. I've probably apologised to about, I'd say, two-thirds of the world's seven billion people by now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if I, I just apologise, I'm sorry, and I try to be very sincere because I just want to stay in a place where I haven't done things to people or if I have done them, I try to do my best to fix it because it can affect the rain in my life. And it's not selfish. I also feel sad that I've done it. I also feel sad. I don't want to be responsible. I hope you feel this way. I don't want to be responsible in adding to anybody's hurt in this life. Life is hard enough. And there are enough difficult things. Don't think anybody is just you know, blowing through life without problems. Life is tough. So I want to be someone who's a blessing and not someone who piles it up on someone. And I hope that's your feeling as well. And so... 
So David went to the Lord and that was the idea. When famine happens in life in the promised land, it's designed to get you to go to God. God wants you to come and say, okay, what's happening? And he'll answer you. He'll answer you. And, and you'll get an answer. And it will either be, it's this. And, uh, and, and, and if, if he doesn't say that, you'll get an assurance to just continue on. To, to just, to just hold, hold your nerve and hold your place and keep going. Uh, you'll get one or the other. So that's what, it's, that's what it's designed to do. By the way, after he did that and after he fixed it, the end of verse 14 of 2 Samuel 21 says, and after that God was entreated for the land. So can you see the pattern? That's all I'm trying to do tonight is just show you. We don't live in Egypt. Uh, God doesn't want you reliant on the Nile not in ministry, not in service, not in anything. We're promised land people. We're supposed to live a different way. And he has deliberately created the circumstances to cause us to be reliant on him. You know, we have seen this past week uh, how people we love can be taken from us. People who were... uh, very influential by their settledness. And, uh, and that can happen in this life, and indeed it will happen. And it, what does it do? It, it's, it's just, it's life, but it's also God saying, you're going to have to lean on me. You're just going to have to lean on me. You're going to have to learn reliance on me. And, uh, and you're going to have to conduct yourself that it's you and me and this whole matter of the rain and the blessing. And that's, that's all that God was trying to do. And he took those people from a, a different way, a different cultural perspective, and he brought it all together different. All right, well, I'm done. Let's uh, have a word of prayer, a song, whatever is appropriate. Um, I think, I think Andrew, are you going to come? And uh, God bless you.